Dr. Jessica Bennett, and this is the Mindful Literacy Podcast. In this podcast, you will hear inspiring interviews with teachers and experts in the field who will give you actionable tips and strategies that you can immediately implement in your teaching practice. In episode three, I interview Kelly Young. Kelly is an Orton-Gillingham credentialed intervention specialist with her master's in educational administration, who now does private tutoring with kids who have dyslexia and other reading disabilities. Kelly talks about the importance of being a scholar as a literacy instructor. And she tells a few really touching stories of how her practice and teaching has begun to change how kids see themselves as scholars themselves. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kelly Young. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining the Mindful Literacy podcast. No problem. I'm so excited to have you. I We met at an etymology conference briefly. We're introduced by a mutual friend, Peg. Miss <laughs> Peg, who is a, a outstanding human and tutor in our community. Mm-hmm. And I remember meeting with you last summer and talking about word study and and how you're reaching kids in a really unique and special way. So welcome to our podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you were an intervention specialist for over a decade. and 11 years. Oh, nice. (laughs) And you were in elementary? Uh, K-5, yeah. Yeah. And so then at some point, you, you started making the transition into private tutoring. Yeah. So, um, what, 2017, I think, um, March of 2017, I went to, um, I had done my Orton Gillingham, uh, training and accreditation through the children's dyslexia center in Dublin. I did the year long practicum and, um, you know, had finished my accreditation and had been teaching in OG for about two years. Um, and, just felt like there was more, like there were a lot of exceptions. I had to work really carefully to pick my words sometimes and uh, with kids. And I felt like um, I really loved the piece when we would talk about, you know, history and where did this word come from? And so I saw an etymology conference in Portland, Oregon that was happening over spring break. And so I called my mom, also an OG tutor and said, Hey, you know, let's go. And so we, over my spring break, she and I went to an etymology conference in Portland, Oregon with Gina Cook um, and Doug Harper. And Pete Bowers was sitting there studying with us, um, you know, and we, our minds were blown in three days of learning so much so that we, after we would leave the conference, we would look at each other and go like, I can't talk about it. (laughs) Like it was too much. I can't. I can't, um, I can't really wrap my head around how big of a change, uh, this is for, for my own understanding. So when we came home, it, um, I decided that I had to make some changes in a positive way to the what, 
um, about what I was teaching. So really looking at teaching the writing system and how it's quite beautiful and elegant and there are no exceptions. Um, and since then I, my life completely changed and, um, it was another tutor at a conference with Pete Bowers and Gina Cook and Doug Harper in Chicago, another tutor that looked at me when I said, I really want to do more. I really think I could do this outside of public school. And she looked at me and she said, do it. You can do it. So I said, okay. So I left last year and I have been um, tutoring privately online with kids since, and also have done a couple of professional developments with different staffs. Um, in Reynoldsburg and Salina um, on the writing system and under understanding why things are the way they are and how beautifully human um, our, our language is. Yeah, it's so exciting. And I, I think, love it. You know, at the point where I met you, I was going to that conference that blew, you know, it opened the door <laughs> to Pandora's box of, oh, there's another way to think about this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Peg, I worked with Peg for several years. She's a tutor who comes into our school building and we would collaborate with on cases. And it was a really beautiful relationship because she'd come in and we'd have a conversation about a word or two. And then she'd very gently say, I think you could look at it this way. And <laughs> I like, you know, kind of like shift my perspective. And then I'd be like, how do you know that? Where, but my OG training is telling me this, and that's exactly that you're saying to do the exact opposite of that. Okay. So how do, how, you know, tell me more. So she kind of put her arm around me and took me to the conference. And from that point forward, I was just like for three days <laughs> taking in all I could from Gina. I think I filled an entire journal. Yeah. Um, so now I'm, you know, halfway through all of the courses she has to offer. And I'm still, you know, yesterday sitting in a verb class going like. The, that verb class is hard. I think that was the second class I took with Gina. It's tough. It's so good, but it's so tough. Yeah. All of the and, grammar is just something that I feel like we are so lacking as adults, as adult English speakers, as well as in school. Yeah, totally. And I feel like as an adult learner, I, I feel like almost cheated out of my education, I feel like that wasn't ever really part of the standard. I mean, I remember it as a freshman in high school diagramming sentences, but that like it was a blip in my education. And for an intervention specialist or a tutor, we have to understand the big picture and the whole picture in order to break steps down for kids to understand. So if we're at that point where we're like, uh, I don't know why this is pronounced this way or spelled this way for me, I'm like, okay, stop, write it down and investigate and figure it out. And I've gotten to the point with my training with Gina and with your support and with Peg's support that I've been able to say, okay, what about this word? I think it's like this because of these reasons. And you guys will come in and say yes or no, or maybe, or, you know, so they have like a dialogue about a word and I'm doing that with my students and I've seen firsthand how it improves their confidence and their self-perception as a learner. And I think the confidence piece is maybe the biggest change that I've seen with my students um, and with myself. I, you know, I was never diagnosed dyslexic in school. Like I always did well in school, but I do very vividly remember asking my mom while I, why I could not read 
um, in second grade when all of my friends could read. And she said, you can read. And I was like, no, I don't think I can read. Like I, I can't do what they can do. So, um, and since, you know, I, I think I did some kind of phonics program, like hooked on phonics or something in the eighties, um, nineties. And I, I am okay, but you know, um, in actually being in this community and being with other dyslexics and having, um, one of my very close friends in Canada, look at me last summer and say, I don't read books. Like I offered to loan her a book and she said, I don't read books. I'm dyslexic. And I was like, I, I don't read books. Like I could count on my hand, the books that I had completed, like in textbooks. And I remember them specifically. I remember the titles because it was such a huge accomplishment that I had completed them. Um, and one of them is The Help, and that came out a long time ago. And one of them is Poisonwood Bible. And one of them is Jane Eyre. And there maybe is one or two others. And that's probably all the books I actually completed. Um, and then uh, when my, after my friend looked at me and said that, so very blatant and honest, I, I realized that I was the same. And that I was very good at buying books or looking like I was going to read them just like our kids. You know, I would read a chapter or two and then I quit because it was too much. And I w it was exhausting. Um, it's not that I can't read it. I can. It just takes a really long time and it gets, takes so much energy. Um, and so then one of my students, an eighth grader, who will be a freshman this year, um, when I met with her in August of last year, so this was about a month after my friend kind of changed my life about dyslexia, especially like I'm not embarrassed about the fact that I struggle with my right and left um, or directionality. Like I have no idea for going East. I don't know. Um, I know the sun, <laughs> that, that's all I've got. Um, but, uh, and names, I'm terrible with names, remembering names. Um, I can't, I can't pull them up. But um, my eighth grade student who I, I met in August, who is, I see her two to three days a week and have since then, um, a kid that was diagnosed with school-based depression, um, a kid that had had a phonics intervention for, um, she started reading intervention in kindergarten. In first grade, she did reading recovery. In second grade through seventh grade, she did Wilson um, and struggled, struggled, struggled and um, uh, is still not a very fluent reader in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, uh, struggled on a third grade dibbles as a, as a, a seventh grader. But she, um, she looked at me in August and said, well, why don't you just do audiobooks?" And I was like, why don't I just do audiobooks?" And so I started on Audible, but it was too expensive. So then now I use Libby, which is the app from the, the library. And I devour audiobooks. Like I can, like if it's a really good book, I read The Hate You Give this summer in two and a half days, and it's like a thirteen-hour audiobook because I just couldn't stop. Um, just like anybody, any other voracious reader, um, but I just do it um, on my phone. You know, it's an audio. So um, my life has so completely changed um, in in this realization of, you know, who am I as a person. But also, I think, you know, we started talking about the confidence issue, the shame that you carry if you are not literate in this society. If you make a spelling error in a social media post, it will not go unnoticed. You know, um, if you uh, 
um, struggle to read something aloud, people will say something. And it immediately comments on, you know, um, your ability to understand the world, your intellect. And uh, it is, which is not true, you know, it, because I struggle with spelling has no impact on my intellect. My student who, that eighth grader who has struggled her whole life, the first word she brought to study with me was dodecahedron. Um, since then, we've studied words like discord and melancholy. And um, the last word we studied on Friday, no, Thursday of last week was aristocrat. And I mean, and I learn as much from this kid as, as she does from me. And, you know, this kid is not sad anymore because she knows that there is at least one person that has told her for certain, you are not stupid. You are really smart and capable. And just because the reading is difficult, just because the spelling is difficult, number one, doesn't mean it's not doable. And number two, doesn't mean that you still can't engage with it in a way that continues to grow you as a person as much as it grows you as a learner. So I just, um, she's just a cool kid. She's changed my life a hundred percent, but so has this study. Totally. Don't you just, for me, my biggest joy in teaching, especially that with this science, <laughs> the science of linguistics behind me and understanding how to tap into that now my biggest joy is learning alongside of my students. And when they, you know, you mentioned, Hey, why don't you, why don't you listen to an audiobook?" when they teach me, you know, little life hacks too. It's so fun. It's just so fun. It's like, people are paying me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um, I, I, on Thursday, when we studied aristocrat, I, I learned that, um, you know, cancer is the Latin word for crab. And I was like, Oh, Yes, that totally blows my mind. Oh, I knew the astrological sign was a crab, but I didn't know why, you know, and that the tumors could look like crabs. And I mean, I think she was also thought it was cool, but she, every time I, I go into that moment, she goes, oh, here she goes. <laughs> Just go into my word nerd land of like, oh my gosh, all of the little pieces of yarn are connecting, you know, in my dyslexic brain. And it's, it's, uh, it's just a beautiful thing for, for me and for her, you know, that's why I feel like I'm not a teacher as much anymore as I'm a scholar because I study with my kids every moment, even the five-year-old student that I work with, God love him. You know, what did, what did we study? I mean, we've been studying space cause he loves space. And so we read a, a silly book called chicken in space. And then we watched a video on comets and we talked, it talked about how, Comet comes from a Greek word that means hairy, you know, and that was such a cool discussion with him. He's five, you know, um, the science that I get to learn about, you know, the world with my students that I really felt like I never was exposed to in my little elementary school bubble where, you know, if you do PD, it's like, how can we do this program with, you know, more efficacy or how can we, you know, continue this learning on this mathematical topic, but it's very in a bubble and you don't kind of ever explore your world very much, especially with kids, which is a shame. It's really a shame um, because we get to grow as people just as much as they do. Yeah, totally. And I think when you have that, you know, it always bothered me. I'd say to Peg, Peg, we've got 
you know, we've got this kid reading. Why isn't he spelling, you know? And so to have that collaboration, because it is, it is a human experience. We're not just learn this sound and this letter that go together. It's the whole picture. And I love, you know, yesterday I did a training on comprehension and my old way of thinking is thinking of reading like the pyramid. So, you know, and I, I diverted to the foundational skills building up to comprehension. And I love that conversation you and I had at one point, I don't remember when, but you're like, it's more like a sphere for me. <laughs> it's, and um, so immediately after that training, reflecting on my own, you know, presentation, I was like, there's that moment that mindset, mindset shift is, I was trying to say it's, it's all comprehension and inside are the little, almost like, can you say like a comma, a hairy little hair sticking out? Yeah, oh, well, <laughs> yeah it um, makes sense. And P.S., girl, if you got through Jane Eyre, I, could, I couldn't get through Jane Eyre I, that summer. And I, because I didn't have the skill set to work through the old language that she was using. It took me, well, I'm sure that there was a lot that I just skipped. Um, and it took me probably like a year. I mean, it was like, you know, that's why I remember it because I wouldn't quit because it was my mom's favorite, my sister's favorite. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do love that story. It's a good story, you know, that crazy wife in the fire. This is a great story, but, um, uh, you know, I think we just, like, um, you know, we stick to things that, especially when you're a dyslexic in the, in a world where you feel like no one else really gets you. Um, I think you try your best to keep up appearances. You know, a lot of my students have said very specifically, I just, if I don't know it, I just skip it. If I don't know the word. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I totally get that. Um, but I had a student, an eighth grader after working with her for the year and they took the summer off. I did a little exit interview and I said, talk to me about, you know, what is something big that you're taking away from our work together? And she said, well, when I get to a word that I don't know, instead of just skipping it and not caring, I actually want to know, like, I want to know what it is and I want to know what it means and how it fits. Cause that's really what we do. And especially dyslexics, we're, we're puzzle seekers. We like how things fit together, either in art or in how a computer is built or an engine or, you know, we are the kind of people that like to see how the pieces fit and we don't, and I mean, I'm speaking in very general terms, but I personally really don't like it when someone says, well, that one is an outlier. That one is an exception. And you just have to, you know, accept it or memorize it. But like, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, we tell kids, well, memorize it or write it down. Which one looks right? Well, they all look right or they all look wrong. So I don't know. Like, uh, how am I supposed to just memorize it? Do I have to make a song up to remember that there's an I and friend? Or can you connect for me that friend and Friday are related and it's a cool story because it's about the wife of a God, you know, it's a goddess of love and how, if you can learn about Freed, the goddess of love that we have our Friday named after, then you can learn about Venus. And then you have Spanish, Viernes, and French, or uh, Italian, Benerdi. And I think, I don't remember what French is, 
you know, Vore, no, I can't remember. Well, it probably <laughs> comes from Venus. Yeah, it's a V. I know that. Uh, but I, my French is horrible. Uh, I usually refer to Spanish or Italian. I can pull those. Latinate. Yeah, it's, it's totally, it's totally beautiful. And, you know, when you mentioned your student having gone through reading recovery in Wilson, for people who don't know, those are highly researched, vetted, programs that require people to go through rigorous training and it's sort of like you know a certain percentage of kids will just get it and learn how to read and then there's a percentage of kids who these programs work for to a certain degree we can get them to read but maybe we won't get them to spell and understand the system and then there's a percentage of kids where it's sort of like they're not getting it even with these vetted research-based programs. And, and so, I think we label them as non-responders. We put it back on the kid. It's not, it's not the program's error or fault. You know, it's the fault of the kid that's not responding to the program, which is really unfair um, to our kids. And then, because they know that. Even if you don't tell them they're a non-responder, they're aware, you know, that they're getting the same thing over and over. Right. You know, as a nine-year-old, they're aware that they're still not getting short vowel sounds. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's approach it differently is what we're saying, because those are the, those are the cases as a teacher that you're, you're just dying inside because you, you want to do everything you can. But in my, in my personal experience, I didn't have the content knowledge to understand how to break it down and explain it to them in a different way. Yeah. And we feel like we're kind of at a loss. You know, we hit, we'll, we'll adjust intervention, maybe like, well, maybe they need more time or maybe they need a smaller group. You know, these are different adjustments that we can make to the intervention. Um, but even if we make this intervention to make it, you know, kind of the highest intensity that we can, we still have kids that don't respond. And so then we're kind of at a loss because we just don't have something else. Um, and I think, you know, as teachers, it's really difficult for us to feel like we don't have the answer and we don't have the next step. And parents say, well, you know, what are we going to do? And I think that is a really difficult situation, um, to, to look at a parent and say, I just, I don't, you know, I'm not sure we're just going to keep trying. Um, but, you know, trying something that's not working, for years and years is, you know, maybe not the way to go. I think a lot of times we, in school, we think we'll just give it time, right? And time becomes this constant. This is um, an educator that, a lifelong educator that's friends with my mom said, the, the difficulty or the problem with schools in public school is that we make time the constant and learning the variable. And we well, you have to get this done in this time. This is the content. These are the benchmarks that we have been set and we must meet them or at least try to meet them. Um, and kids get lost along the way and we're trying to plug in holes all the time for the kids that are lost instead of making learning constant, right? And saying it doesn't matter how long this takes because we can look at it in a different way. We can group kids, you know, I mean, Lord help us all, but maybe public school can look at grouping kids not by age, you know, not by um, uh, if you are six years old, 
you need to be learning this content. But maybe like, yeah, you're six years old. My, my five-year-old is reading like chapter books, like little baby ones, but chapter books. Like maybe she would really benefit from being in a cross-categorical class of, you know, kindergarten first and second graders where they could, you know, really indulge in what they are interested in. And for her, that's animal science, you know, or life science. Like she could do that. Um, but, you know, she, I know we have to have well-rounded kids and I think it's possible to have a well-rounded kid, even if you're focusing on interest. And even if you um, have groups of kids that could, you know, be diverse enough to learn from each other. And I kind of feel like a, in a, after a pandemic, maybe now's the time. <laughs> for change. Just Everything's blown up anyway. Like, let's just go for it, you know? <laughs> Try right. something new. change. And I actually had conversations with some of the parents I serve. You know, I, I've been an intervention specialist. I'm going into my 16th year. And I started doing private tutoring last summer. And it's my greatest joy to be able to sit one-on-one with a kid and not have time be the constant. Mm. And you know, you and I both practice yoga. So you would like, we, we speak to each other's souls on this, but it's like, you can just be in the moment and learn one word mm. at a time, the way that it should be learned, you know? Um, and so to me, I've had m- multiple conversations with parents, almost like tongue in cheek saying, let's open our own school. It'll be like a one room schoolhouse. We'll have ages three through 10. We like that would be really beautiful. Yeah. You know? And I, I think we we are so creative in so many ways in this country. And we have, you know, the ability to look at things in a new way. We're trying so many things differently, but we are we are very, you know, wagon wheel style school. Like we can't break away from the way we have always done school. Um, And it has been this way for as long as we have really had school other than, you know, a one room schoolhouse. But even so, even with our summers off because our buildings are, we don't have air conditioning, but like the fact that we had summers off so kids could come help with field work. I mean, it's, it's a very archaic system that we have created. Even a lot of our our beliefs and understandings about what school is are so very ingrained, even in us as adults, we really want our kids to have the experience of school, of a brick and mortar school that we had, when really it doesn't have to be that way. Um, but change is really frightening and, um, and unsettling. And I mean, everybody's feeling that now with a lack of normalcy, you know, we don't, this kind of change in our routine is very upsetting. Um, you know, because that's what we do as humans. But I really feel like there's an opportunity for us to make big change in education. Um, And that's really the only way I think that our kids are going to continue to grow and thrive is if we, you know, I I mean, I tell my dyslexic kids all the time, I'm like, listen, you know, you're the square peg kid, like school's a round hole and you're not going to fit. You're not, you're not going to fit. And what we do is we instead of talking about neurodiversity and understanding that all kids function very uniquely, we try to get them to fit in our expectation. And then when they don't, we intervene to try 
it's like in Apollo 13, you know, when they had, they had to fit the one filter in the, the other and they couldn't, and they had to make a, like a, uh, you know, they had like a sock and a piece of tape and they had to make a filter out of nothing. Right. Like that's what our interventions are trying to do. We're trying to make this weird filter so that our kids can go from the square peg to the round hole when maybe we should just change it and not try to make them fit it. You know, I don't understand why, you know, and, and I have to tell my kids, you're going to have to advocate for yourself. You're going to have to go in there and say, I need my, you know, you, you have these accommodations. I need my accommodations. I need it read aloud. I need a digital text. I need, um, you know, to use my C pen to, on a test with my headphones so that I can hear what the, the word is. I need to be able to use my computer for writing. So I have my spell check, you know, um, and I need my extra time because, you know, which also makes kids feel stupid because again, it's all about time and fitting kids into this time. Um, testing is all timed and, you know, just dyslexics, we don't fit that. It doesn't, I, I, I did okay on my ACT. Like I did fine. <laughs> Not enough to get me like money anywhere, but enough to get me into college. And my parents made me retake it like three times. And I think I did worse on a middle time. And there, my dad was like, you are so smart. Like what? Why can't you? I'm like, I don't have enough time. I can't read it fast enough. And then I panic and I just start picking things, you know, and that's what happens to our kids. And even if they have the extended time, then they feel, you know, shamed intellectually by having to go somewhere else or take longer time. And we have to teach our kids how to cope with the shame they feel for having to take the time they need. Um, so I don't know. I always think about, every time I think of interventions, I think about that Apollo 13, well, that scene in Apollo 13. It's, it's really interesting. And there's no way you would know this because I haven't shared it with anyone yet, but I just interviewed Jim Mahoney, who is a oh. former boss of mine at Battelle for Kids. Uh-huh. And he used that same analogy. Did he really? He did, but he used it in a different way. And so I just want to point out to the people who are listening like, let's, let's just examine how those two different, uh, that reference is coming from completely different perspectives, because Jim also talked about the necessity to shift perspective and, and stay focused on what we can do. So he was talking about it and let's stay focused on what we can do. It's like that scene in Apollo 13, where they're given a box and saying, these are what the astronauts have. You have two oh hours gosh. to go. And he was like, see, you guys did it. And you, you know, he's, it was very inspiring coming from still working in a school system saying that's kind of what happened this spring. You were given mm. a box and you said, make it fit. Yeah. And you're saying, why don't we just change the system? <laughs> and yeah. so that, I mean, ding, ding, ding. That is your dyslexic brain <laughs> right there. Saying like, maybe this doesn't work the way that we think it does. You know, we have so many kids that, that don't feel, I mean, they go to school and their teachers love them and they love them fiercely and they need that. They absolutely need it. But then, you know, their teachers hurt because their teachers feel like I'm failing you. Like you're not, I don't, I'm not moving you forward. Like we're not going anywhere. And, you know, we as teachers, we try to find ways to rationalize it and there never is. It always feels terrible. It's always insanely painful, especially as an intervention specialist. You know, testing day, 
it was the worst day of my life every year. Every day we had to take a big test because I got to sit on the sidelines and watch my kids fail and feel stupid. And it was heartbreaking. I, you know, people would say, Hey, good morning. How, you know, how's your morning going? I said, terrible. <laughs> Absolutely. Hor- this is the worst day. This week is the worst week of my whole year because my kids look at me with their desperate eyes. And I say, keep working. You know? Kelly, I have to tell you, it's, it is awful. And I did the math last year. And what kills me the most about testing is that it's not just a day. I, you know, throughout my caseload and my, you know, doing a testing accommodations and this and that, I am in testing mode across the year for at least six weeks of the school year, which, which kills me because that means that's six weeks that my kids are not getting the instruction they deserve. What a waste. Totally. For them to, to take a test. We, we, where I taught, we, um, we had to do, you know, you can choose, um, for a third grade reading guarantee, you know, they were, they have, um, other ways to meet that benchmark. Right. And so districts can choose what assessment they, you know, utilize. And we, we picked the Iowa, but then we also had gifted and talented that we use the Iowa and the COGATS for to see if kids qualified for gifted and talented and all of, all of the grade level had to take it. And I said, well, no, well, no, my, my, my kids wouldn't have to take the, um, the reading. Right. And they, and they said, well, no, everybody's taking everything. I said, so wait, so kids that are identified as having a reading disability are taking the gifted and talented reading test and with no accommodations. Yeah, correct. It's like, what are we doing? <laughs> Let's think about that. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not saying that my kids couldn't, are not gifted because I will tell you that every single one of my students is insanely gifted and some beautiful way that you can't even imagine until you really get in to know them and say, oh my God. Like I have a second grader who has this natural curiosity that is such a gift. And especially in relationship, this is the weirdest thing to geography. Whenever we're learning something, he wants to know where, where did this come from? Where are these people? And we pull up a map every single time. And it's like, that's a gift. And art and you know another kid that was like oh look I put this computer together while I was on quarantine I'm like what do you mean what what do you mean as a seventh grader you put together I just can't even like I can't wrap my head around yeah so you know last summer I kind of roped you into this I'm like Kelly I barely knew you I'm like Kelly I have this idea I want to start a nonprofit, and I'm writing this grant and I really need your help (laughs) and So speaking of curiosity, this grant was written and it was trying to, it was trying to convey the fact that this method of teaching, I don't know, call it a method, but this, this, this way of teaching based on linguistics taps into a dyslexic intellect and their natural curiosity. And we, we called this grant the cell block of illiteracy. Because when I started digging into the statistics, I was looking at, you know, in juvenile detention, 85% of the kids are illiterate. 
Yep. And like you just mentioned, I know that locked inside those kids' brains are little geniuses who could yep. who could solve big problems like the climate crisis, like COVID, like you name it. Because they are they are the kids that think of how to make that filter in Apollo 13. They are the outside the box thinkers that we so desperately need. Right. Or the ones to say, hey, maybe, maybe we should change the target. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to talk about this notion of, you know, this, this is a big thing, like only, well, I'm going to say only, but if we know about 20% of kids have dyslexia, how in the world are the kids in juvenile detention? How are 85% of them not reading? Those statistics don't line up for me. And so, you know, I want to tell, I want to talk about the goal for us. And I say Mm -hmm. us, because I, I, do acknowledge that I completely roped you into this. <laughs> Your passion for words and this study, and you know, and I don't, I don't want you to sell yourself short, right? Like, I, I have my PhD in reading intervention. I took three years to get my OG credentials, and you know, we're sitting in class together last week, and our teacher Gina Cook drops off the collar internet, like you know, went out for a minute. And before I could even process the question that one of our classmates was asking, I was still like, wait, what did she say? You're like, bam, answering it. And I was like, oh, Kelly, (laughs) I don't want you to sell, you know, you are brilliant and it's a talented scholar and someone who I'm so happy to have as a friend and as a colleague and someone to collaborate with and teach me how to be a better scholar. Yeah. Um, but I want to, I want you to tell a few stories about, you know, when we, when I sat down to talk to you about this idea of raising money to provide tutoring scholarships to kids in the cell block of illiteracy, um, you told me stories and I was, I had goosebumps, I was crying and I want you to tell one or two of those stories just because I feel like I'm asking for, you know, in my greatest dream I want to center. I want you and I working in a center and I want researchers to come in and research what we're doing and publish it. And then we can train teachers. That's mm-hmm. that's my vision. But for this year, I want to raise $5,600 to put one kid through one year of tutoring and it's going to be one word at a time. Mm-hmm. So tell, tell us a story or two um, yeah. to start off our journey. Yeah. I mean, the study that that we do is really it's it's not changing i i told you this when we sat down but it's not really changing i mean it is changing a how but but what i study is not the how i study the what you know we we study the english writing system it is orthographic linguistics it is understanding you know the hierarchy of morphology and seeing the structure of how our words are built the etymology, where they've come from, and then what their relatives are, which is why when you say, you know, it's one word at a time, but it's so much bigger than that too, right? I mean, um, if you can study the word two and you know that the W is there to relate it, it's silent, but it's related to twin twice 20, you know, twig. um, And also then W is historically related to U. So you see duo and duplicate and, you know, double, which is French. I mean, I think it it continues to build out for these kids. And I have a kid now 
who was um, a freshman in high school, um, who has had a really tough go of it um, with um, with English. So he and his brother um, were had a very kind of tumultuous childhood of back and forth from the U.S. to Mexico. Um, their their parents are there in Mexico. They are in the custody of their sister. And um, their sister's trying to pay for um, tutors and, you know, um, uh, speech and language pathologists. And these boys both were, of course, you know, in public school labeled as EL students, English learners. And so for most of their, when they were in the U.S., that that was the main focus, you know, we'll do intervention with the English language um, teacher. And it wasn't until they were 14 and 16 that they were actually evaluated by a psychologist and labeled dyslexic. One dyslexic, one uh, language, um, you know, areas, but um, he didn't quite fit in the picture, but probably somewhere on the spectrum. You know, when we think about dyslexia, especially if it's 20% of the population, we're talking about a wide range of just because it's neurodiversity, it's not disability. It's just a different work of your brain. Um, but anyway, these boys, you know, I, I see them both. Um, I see the freshmen more. Um, and you know, this poor kid, his vocabulary is so very limited. Um, because when he's been worked with, it's been all trying to get him to do like basic understanding, very limited vocabulary resources. You know, when we think about like the decodable texts, quote unquote, that we give kids and the limited vocabulary in them, because these follow rules that are, you know, possibly defaults of, of graphemes, but may not even be that. Um, you know, this poor kid has been given, you know, those and other things and has just not really grown. And so his sister made the choice to pull both of them out of public school and is now going to try homeschooling with different tutors and things, but it's stretched for her. It's really difficult. Um, and there's a family friend that has helped her because the sister herself is in her 20s. She's a young kid, you know, and she's trying to raise these boys and navigate IEPs and navigate now homeschool and tutoring. And, you know, it's, it's a really tough situation. And the thing is that they're so this, you know, the the freshman, he he's really good at math. And he I forget what he wanted to study with me, but it was a, some kind of mathematical concept. And I was like, listen, kid, <laughs> I can help you with the words, but I don't know about the math part. Um, but he's brilliant. And you know, when I we looked at the last time we met, we looked at a lot of um Latin and Greek pieces that show up in mathematics. Like we talked about, you know, um, uh, we looked at the word centipede and then we looked at centimeter and we looked at, because we had looked at D-E-C-E that has a denotation of 10, you know, and even in December, which used to be the 10th month, but also, you know, like decagon and decapod, which is like a crab, you know, they have 10 feet. Um, and then it's also related to C-E-N-T meaning a hundred. So we looked at all of those and I said, look, man, you know, 
let's look at things that you will experience in science and math. We pulled up um, uh, a thermometer that had Celsius and Fahrenheit on it. And I said, have you ever heard anybody say centigrade, you know, degrees centigrade? He's like, no, you know, okay, here we go. So, um, and then we talked about how those prefixes help us or base, actually they're not prefixes, but how those bases really give us extra meaning and understanding into what, you know, those words mean. Um, and this poor kid, you know, I mean, he never really got what he needed. And, you know, I can understand the teachers really struggling because EL teachers often don't even have the resources they need to be able to teach reading. You know, I feel like we're, we're always coming at something from just like a slightly different angle and we're all kind of wasting resources and time, like an SLP that doesn't really need to work on articulation, but needs to work on language comprehension, well, they end up using reading, right? And trying to build reading vocabulary that way and comprehension. So, but not, nobody has the same training, you know, nobody has the time to collaborate. Um, and so the EL teacher will be doing a little something different and, a, and then, you know, um, some kind of intervention specialist or alternative instructor is doing some other kind of intervention in this way. And then the speech and language pathologist doing something and all of these pieces like this poor kid, you know, he still really struggles to read and even worse struggles to spell. Now his spelling is really, really terrible. And he knows that it is. And I said, well, you know, first things first, like, don't be ashamed of it. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. And it's, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, you were smart, you are capable. And I said, and second, we can, we can work on it. Like we can fix it. And I mean, I have another student who's a seventh grader and is maybe one of the brightest kids, a kid that masters something after you say it. Like it's, it's incredible to watch this kid. He goes, huh. And then it's done. He's got it. And I, he loves Norse mythology and he loves the, um, the Magnus Chase books. And so one day he wanted to study Valhalla, which is a, you know, uh, the place where you go. It actually has the word, it, the Norse piece of hall is actually the, related to the English word hall, the place to go, right? And, um, and we looked at that family and how it's related to some um, letters that start with C in Latin languages like cover and color and um, helmet is in the English version. It's about covering yourself. But this kid can't spell. Can't, I mean, his spelling is really horrific and he's been in intervention for Lord knows how long. I think it's been years and years and years. And his spelling is really horrific. And he's brilliant. He's brilliant, this kid. And he told his mom, he was like, I don't know what it is, but the way that Kelly teaches, like, I think I get it. And like, that's changing his life. You know, working with that kiddo, first of all, the, the, the kid from, you know, that's been in Mexico, he says he doesn't remember any Spanish, which is always a bummer. Because <laughs> I'm like, ah! I was going to ask about that. Does that yeah. ask, oh, you know, Spanish, that must be helpful. Yeah, because I'm like, oh, you know, you struggle with very and very. I was like, do you know the word for truth in Spanish? And he was like, no. <laughs> es la verdad, the truth. And he was like, no, I don't remember. I'm like, oh man, because that would really help. Because, <laughs> you know, V-E-R-Y is, a, is, is like verify. It's truly big. Something's very big. 
Um, and so like, but this kid, like we're trying to connect to what his life has been and also try to help him understand that, you know, he is very capable and, you know, not, not a kid that can be thrown away because he just continues to struggle and doesn't get it. And my brilliant kid, I would never want that child to feel like he is anything but what, I mean, he's going to do something incredible with his life. And I hope, you know, like we can work on the spelling, like, you know, and I think he'll get better for sure. He already is. Um, but I hope that he sees that that has nothing to do with his capability in his life, you know, and what he can really grow to be. And the same thing with that eighth grader that I've had, she's going to be a freshman for the whole year who had school-based depression, who now is, I mean, she's snarky because she's an eighth grader, you know, she's, she's sarcastic. Um, but, but the love that she and I have for one another is number one for, because we're people and we just love each other. But number two is because we understand each other. You know, I, I get that she felt really horrible about herself and that she, she had walked into a Wilson lesson and said, I just want to, I'm just going to, I just want to die if I have to sit in here again. And I, you know, her mom told me that crying. And I said, well, we're not doing that anymore because it didn't work for six years and it's still not working. And I'm not saying that it's a terrible program. I'm saying that it didn't work for her. You know, she needed something different. And, you know, I don't think her teachers are bad people. I think they're great people. I think they love her, but I don't think that they really understood her. Um, and I also think they were at a loss. I don't think they knew what else to do. Um, you know, and, and they kind of, you know, I've, I've so done this and been guilty of saying, you know, we delude ourselves a little bit like, well, it's working, you know, but it's not really, you know, they're, they're growing. It's just slow. Are they though? You know, and can you dismiss spelling? Well, my kids can read, but they can't spell. Spelling's not that important. I will tell you from being shamed my entire life, spelling is important, especially in our society. It's important. Totally. And, and I mean, this kid, she doesn't text me. She sends me a voice message. She doesn't even voice text because that would take extra time and effort for her to voice text it and see if it was right. She can't see if it's right. So she will send me a voice message through text. So, I mean, which is great. She has that availability, but like, you know, this poor kid, she's going to be a freshman in high school and she can't voice text. You know, she can't like send a text message to me because she knows that it will be wrong and then she'll be embarrassed. So don't say spelling's not important. It is important. Totally yeah. is. And even, I mean, I, I, I giggled when you said hooked on phonics in the eighties, I went to a Montessori program as a kid and it was totally phonics based. And I was an early reader, but I still, like, I still struggle with my spelling. Like, I'm learning just as much through my scholarship with Gina and, you know, our, our classmates than you are as a dyslexic. So, um, so those stories that you're telling is exactly why I wanted to start this nonprofit. It's because I feel like this knowledge is a golden key to unlocking literacy to kids and literacy yeah. meaning reading and spelling and writing. And I realized that really only privileged white kids 
parents knew how to find this golden key. Absolutely. It's not just because you have OG training doesn't mean that's the golden key. It's this extra layer of study. And what killed me was thinking about all of the kids I had worked with prior to, you know, 2015. It's like, well, what, what about, what about the, what about those kids? They need this golden key too. And in fact, my data, my data suggests, the national data suggests they may need it even more, right? Yeah. 45% of fourth graders in the nation are proficient. Only 45, the, yeah. the, the white kid, white kids, 45%, yeah. 18% of black and Latino, Latino kids. And low SES kids, you know, like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty evident. Um, and the, and the hardest thing is like the, the, the privilege gives you access to the tutors, gives you access to a private psychologist, you know, gives you access to a private psychologist that can refer you out to tutors, tutors who I personally, like I charge a lot because it's my income. It's my, you know, like it's, I, I'm trying to support my family as well. And, and that's a really hard thing you know, of course, like I end up giving discounts and stuff because I don't, I, the billing part of my job is like the worst thing. <laughs> so as a teacher, you don't want to deal with it, but, um, it's a really tough situation to, to think I, I want to help this kid and I, I know that they need it. And, you know, first of all, can they afford it? And, and second of all, I mean, it's like healthcare, you know, it's, can, can you afford to get what you need? Right. And, um, you know, can they afford it? But also like, you know, are they going to have the equipment like now in a pandemic, like you're going to need to have internet, you're going to need to have a decent, you know, computer for a tutor to be able to see you, you know, um, online. And a lot of our kids don't have that. Um, and I, I'm so excited that for the nonprofit, I think if we can start with one kid, we can sponsor tutoring for one kid, then we've won. I agree. I agree. I feel like it'll be like, we'll build some momentum. So I'm like one word at a time, one kid at a time. Yeah. As you saw, I mean, Kelly, you beautifully demonstrated how one word then unlocks and suddenly you have a dozen words. Um, so yes, one kid at a time. I'm so glad that you took the time to talk to me today. I oh, love yeah. listening to you geek out on words because <laughs> I learned so much from you and it's just fun and it's exciting and um, it makes such a huge difference in the kids we work with. So I hope, I, that, uh, inf- I hope that infects <laughs> our listeners and they can find you at um, learnyoung.org. Yes. You offer professional development for teachers. Maybe I'll see if I can, we can get you into our school this year. I, I am hoping, you know, more teachers that I can see more teachers because that's more kids. Right. And I mean, I saw, I had that, um, a professional development that was three days with a group of about 13 teachers. And all I could think was, okay, 13 teachers, even if only a couple of them change some of the things that they're doing, that's more kids, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, like you said, one kid at a time, that's what my, a friend of mine in Nova Scotia that I studied with over the summer last year, I asked her, I said, how many, how many kids should I start with? Cause this was all brand new. And I was just, I had just left my job and I just don't know how many kids to start with. And she just smiled and she looked at me and she said, one, just, just start with one. 
And I was like, well, I can't, I can't support my family on one kid. And I, and I went like we do as teachers in a million different directions. She's like, just, just one. <laughs> and I did, I started with that kid that I've had for a year who is, you know, a joy, an ultimate joy in my life. And of course it, you know, it snowballed from there, but that's yeah. right. You just, if you can keep your focus on starting small, um, if we can help one kid, we can get a scholarship for one kid. Um, that's huge, but I think we shouldn't totally meet again and talk about words. We should just do. Yeah, for sure. Maybe we can get Gina to join. Oh, she'll totally come. Especially if we're going to geek out on words. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because, you know, for those of you who are listening, who are teachers, I, I am trying to understand how to use social media and I'm just like, whatever. So one of, one of these like friends that I met through Instagram is a bilingual um, OG tutor. And hmm. she started asking me about structured word and and how she could learn more. And um, so, you know, I told her what the study that I was doing and she's like, I'm kind of intimidated. I said, don't be intimidated. I will help you. So I, you know, you and I talked about that the other day where it's like one thing to sit through professional development and be like, your mind is blown open. And it's another thing to start incorporating this and just start practicing it. And I mentioned how important it was for me to have Peg by my side and you a text away when I was practicing this. So I want to encourage everyone too, just to join our community and mindful literacy practice um, in our teacher tribe. And, you know, we're thinking about renaming it because there's, there are probably half a dozen other words that are more elegant, (laughs) um, you know, thinking about social justice issues and the history of words and how that leaves kind of karmic scars on our on our spirit. So anyways, for right now, it's Mindful Literacy Teacher Tribe, and we'd love to have you. Kelly's part of the group. So if you have any questions about this recording or this podcast, we would love to talk words with you. Yeah. You can incorporate word study into your practice, especially, you know, a lot of teachers use foundations in districts and we use it in ours. And I found that this study has helped me make foundations even better that that example you cited with, I don't know, just guess which one looks right. I'm like, Mm-mm, guys, hold up. We've got to study the base of this word real quick. <laughs> yeah. Let's pause. Broader, deeper, right? The, the deeper you can go, it, it becomes more than one word. It becomes about people. It becomes about our world. You know, Gina, Gina Cook, uh, this is a perfect ending kind of idea, but Gina Cook says that the study of words is the study of everything. And I think that's so spot on because it, I think this kind of study leads you into understanding what, what we are as human beings. Um, and that's a beautiful thing to study with kids. Um, you know, it, it connects them to, you know, more broadly where they've come from and where we've all come from. And it makes us uniquely beautiful, you know, in, in, our cultures and, you know, a language is a, is a way of seeing the world and interpreting your world. And that, that helps kids to be able to appreciate cultures and different dialects and how it's, it's not just about language and, and reading and spelling, but it's really about understanding who you are and where you've come from, where your words have come from, you know, like, you could be speaking a, or using a Viking word, right? You, the word sky is an old Norse word. That's cool. 
kids love it. They really do. Um, so, you know, totally let's, let's get together another time, <laughs> but join teacher tribe or join, um, you know, um, you're welcome to find me at, at, at Kelly at learnyoung.org. If you want to send me an email, you're welcome to do that. Um, there was a brand new person in one of Gina's classes the other day and I reached out to her and said, Hey, you're new. You know, do you, do you need some support? Like, <laughs> so she's emailed me quite a few times and I absolutely will email her back and give her good recommendations of what I have seen and, and we'll take them the other way. Our community is a, is a beautiful thing of people that just want to support kids and make sure that kids can see the beauty of the language system. Um, and so. we can't do it alone. Nope. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. Yeah, you're welcome. It's good to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care, Kelly. See ya. If you enjoyed this podcast, please find us on Facebook at Mindful Literacy Practice. Our Facebook page for our nonprofit is at Mindful Literacy Columbus. If you are a parent, I invite you to join our free and private group on Facebook, Mindful Literacy Parent Society. If you are a teacher, I invite you to join our free and private group on Facebook, Mindful Literacy Teacher Tribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Mindful Literacy Practice. Our website is mindfulliteracypractice.org. Make sure to check out our nonprofit tab where we give you all the information you need to find a scholarship, become a tutor, make a donation, or volunteer. Thank you so much for listening with the deepest gratitude.